you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. This is part two, part two of the 2019 Best Year Yet episode. Really excited about this. This episode has super special guest Kyle Sheely, my buddy. Go follow him on on Instagram at Kyle Sheely. Kyle Sheely, S-C-H-E-E-L-E. Go go check him out. He brings tons of good stuff to this. Stay after that for my favorite part of this podcast two-part series. It's all about Spider-Man. Let's get into part two. Number seven, tap larger distribution channels for your stuff. Guess what? You can buy a pair of Nikes in other places than a Nike store or on Nike's website, right? You can go down to JCPenney's. You can go to Nordstrom. You can go to places where you're like, you know what? I don't know what kind of shoe I want. I don't know what brand to use. And go to a place where they have all kinds of different shoe brands and then you might get Nike's there. I bet 
Nike sells a lot of their shoes not in their own distribution channels. And the same goes for you. One of the things I see all the time is an illustrator, an artist, a designer, a writer, a journalist, a musician. Did I say musician twice? I don't know. They, they're like, I'm going to create a blog. And they put it on their website and they're like, done. But it's an island full of billions of islands online and without any distribution, you're going to have a really hard time making that work. But guess what? There are all kinds of stores and they will let you put their products on their shelves at no cost. And yeah, I mean Twitter and Instagram and, and, what, and Facebook or whatever, but I'm talking medium specific distribution channels where people discover things, where people go to find things like your stuff. And so that's why I say don't just write a blog, write a Medium post. People go to Medium, people discover other articles through articles that are related. Uh, go find distribution channels. By the way, Kickstarter last year, I feel like the year I did Kickstarter, which was last year. Uh, I couldn't talk about it all the time. I feel like I needed a little bit of a distance uh, to talk about what I learned and, and you know, whatever, talk, talk about my strategy. But you know why I did a Kickstarter? I didn't do it because I needed the money. I could actually afford to print that book by myself. The number one reason, there's a bunch of reasons, but the number one reason was distribution. Kickstarter is better at distribution than it is raising funds. I got more attention, more eyeballs, and probably made more sales doing it through Kickstarter than I would if I'd done it on my own website. And so Kickstarter actually has distribution channels built into it like Kickstarter highlighting and sharing your stuff. Other people on Kickstarter found my book that don't even know about the podcast. Same goes for Patreon, Patreon, Kickstarter, Medium. Spotify, SoundCloud, there's all these features like related artists, all these features like people coming, showing up to that spot to find things like your stuff. And if you only have your shoes in your stores, you're missing out on some sweet promo opportunities. So go use distribution channels, invest in a big way, make a big strategy to invest in one of these channels where you're going to find some organic growth and get some distribution that you can't get any other way. Yeah. <laughs> that last tone that you can't get any other way. Number eight, the check-in, the check-in. Go send an email to anybody that you've ever worked with before and had a pleasant experience working with. I used this tactic a million times. When I was in the promo mode and I couldn't think of anybody else to send an email or a postcard or something to, I went back to all the clients that I'd ever had and especially clients where the, the person, my contact there had moved to different opportunities because I'm, for the most part, they don't move, you know, they don't start as an art director for a magazine and end up as a farmer in Wisconsin with no use for illustration. They're probably in some kind of similar industry and the check-in is very important. It also works really well for top of mind. Top of mind, aka Toma in the uh, marketing lingo speak. I don't know if anyone actually says that, but that's one of the abbreviations, acronyms. I don't really know the right verbiage for that verbiage, but 
online. It's TOMA, top of mind. There's a lot of research about it. One of the things that they find is that the brands that have the most brand awareness, that have the most top of mind uh, real estate in the in the customers in the market have the most market share. And if you didn't know, that's why all these brands do advertising. It's not because you see a Coca-Cola commercial and you think, man, I need a Coke. It's so that when you're thirsty for a sugary fizzy drink, you think of Coke. That's why you get all these Geico commercials that are freaking bonkers and don't have anything to do with car insurance. All they have to do is be like, Geico, car insurance, Geico, car insurance, so that when you need car insurance, you think Geico. And so you got to do the same thing. And guess what? You even got to do it uh, specifically like they do. You can't just be, when they think of illustration, they think of Andy J. Pizza. I want them to think of when they think of illustration in public speaking, to think of Andy J. Pizza. When they think of illustration in dreams, content. I want all these markets and niches. When they think of kids' books about dreams, I want them to think of me. And so that's why it's so important to clearly communicate in these promotions what your market is, how do they hire you, so that you can. Get that mind share type. Mind share sounds like I'm plotting something diabolical. I'm not. I'm plotting some cash in your pocket, and I think that would just be lovely, don't you? If you also like the idea of cash in your pocket, and boy, am I on one today. I guess I'm well rested. I guess I'm ready to break through 2019 for the best year I've ever had and help you have the best year you ever had. Let's do it by getting top of mind. Again, we'll refer to Donald Miller. I heard him talk about this. He's the, a marketing guy these days, and he talks about how he worked for a publishing company, and he would say that a lot of their sales came through their, their letter, their newsletter, a physical newsletter that came through. And lots of the people that got the newsletter would say, I don't even open the newsletter, but when I see it come through and I see your logo, I remember that you exist, and then when I need something from your pub- from a publisher, I think of you. It's called top of mind. One way to get it, go do the check-in. Go do the check-in. You can send a little email, and you can say, hey, what's up? What are you up to now? Love to send you some stuff. Love to talk. Love to hear what's going on. I loved working with you that one time. It was really fun. And I just got curious about what's up in your neck of the woods. There you go. Top of mind check-in. Number nine, online ads. Online ads. Is Andy really going to go down this pathway? You darn tootin' I am because I think that you have an opportunity to do something that nobody else is doing. I don't see a lot of creative people using online marketing, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, to spread the word, to do direct promo, to get top of mind, mind share. I don't see a lot of it going on. And guess what? When you hear that, you should have crazy alarm buzzers going off. It should be like Pee Wee's Playhouse in your mind. Ah! Nobody's doing that. And the last thing you should think is, uh, nobody, none of the musician people in my neck of the woods do that. They don't do online ads and you should hear, ah, nobody does that. That means, guess what? 
perfect opportunity. What do you call an artist that doesn't like to stand out? I don't know, but you don't call them an artist. That's what it's all about. I think there's an enormous opportunity to do weird stuff, fun stuff, you know, performance art through Instagram and Facebook ads. And I'm going to be exploring that in 2019. I don't even want to tell you that because I don't want the competition, but I'm that crazy. That's how much of an extravaganza this episode is. Uh, But guess what? When I do, sometimes I get in a situation where I'm selling my wares, my calendars, which you can get at creativepeptalk.etsy.com. I only tell you because I love you and I believe in my product. But when when I'm selling my posters at creativepeptalk.com, creativepeptalk.etsy.com, but not on .com, but in the real life in a craft stall situation, uh, I found myself incredibly bored trying to come up with some super swanky, cool, like, you know, stall that was going to fit into these super cool stalls that were next to me. And I just thought, oh gosh, it sounds like the most boring thing in the world. It doesn't sound like it's really my strength. And you know what I thought of doing? If you've ever seen me sell anything in person, you know, I created the Lucy from Charlie Brown psychiatric help desk at a cardboard and instead it's uh, instead of psychiatric help for five cents it says creative pep talks for five cents the doctor pizza is in or out i have the little sign it looks very lifelike very crappy very similar to the way that lucy's handmade uh self-help desk looks and since i made that thing a i've never enjoyed going to do craft shows as much as i have and also and I hate to say that I noticed this, but it's a popular booth. It gets a line. There, I've never sold more stuff because of standing out, doing something that nobody else is doing, looking like the weirdo at the show. And I think you have the opportunity to do the weird thing by using Instagram ads as some kind of performance art piece. And guess what? There's two reasons why, or two ways. I know it's gag reflex. I know it's weird when you get a promoted thing on your feed. But if there are two things that are true about your post, I promise that people will not mind that it ends up in their post. And even if they don't, remember there's no blacklist for artists you don't like. Um, And so first thing you can do is, the one I did recently was, there's a quote from my dad. Uh, You've heard me talk about it before on the show if you've listened for very long and it goes, life is hard, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Hard and bad are not the same thing. And that quote changed my life. It changed my perspective. It's a very stoic philosophy, actually. And I, I go to it all the time. And I've had lots of people tell me that they heard that at just the right time and it made a big difference in their life. And I made a piece of art about that that quote to commemorate it. And so I decided when I was going to test out my first Instagram ad in a long time that I would do this thinking, believing that people need to see this art. People need to hear that quote. People need to read this post. And even if just one out of the thousands of people that see it really, really needed it and it connects with them, then it'll be worth it. And so if your thing is generous, if it's something that's going to tickle the right people's fancy, if you target the right people, guess what? It'll be a blessing on their feed. Second level, or you can just do something really weird, which I'm going to try. And just in the state of 
solidarity just to be like, hey guys, I'm going to be weird too. I know I've already done like 8,000 weird things on this episode, but let me just impromptu, unplanned, improvisationalized weirdness right on the podcast right now so you can tell your friends to come listen to this weird guy make a damn fool out of himself in the iTunes podcast store. What should I do? What's a really strange thing to do? <laughs> I hope all you guys are really nervous. Like, Andy, you're why? Why didn't you plan a weird thing to do? Because that wouldn't be weird enough. So I'm encouraging you to go out there and use these ads as performance art, as weirdness, as trying something, as an as a as a place where there's cheap attention and in solidarity. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna record myself doing a somersault while we do the podcast. I'm really doing it. Ugh. Oh, I just did a somersault. Probably hurt my back. I'm 32 years old. You're welcome. Go get weird. Maybe you need to go film yourself doing some somersaults while drawing and then post that on Instagram. That's going to be, that's going to save your business in 2019. No promises. No money back guarantees. Number 10, get a moving buddy. Don't have one? Get one. But it's not just Toy Story, it's also the Jeffersons. Get a moving on up, buddy. And here's what I mean by that. You ever see these movies? I couldn't think of a specific one, but there's basically a 8 million of them. Maybe She's All That. I'm get, I haven't seen that movie, but this seems like the plot of that movie. from the. I feel like from the front cover of the VHS, I saw that at Blockbuster from She's All That. And from just the cover, I think I know the entire movie. Here's what I'm guessing is the plot. And it's this guy who's like, man, I'm so obsessed with this super cool popular girl. She's going to be the answer to all of my hopes, dreams, and desires. And he's telling this to his best friend, this girl, that's actually the answer and the fulfillment of all of his hopes and dreams. If only he would have the eyes to see it. And all she's got to do is take off her glasses and boom, it hits him like a ton of bricks. Well, guess what, man? Guess what, woman? Guess what? Whoever, wherever you are, you've got a friend with glasses. Not literally, literally you do, but you also figuratively, metaphorically, proverbially have a friend with glasses that are the answer to your creative career, hopes and dreams. Do you know the people that have had the biggest impact on my creative career have been my friends, not my heroes. I have been lucky enough to make some heroes of mine my friends, but guess what? Rarely are they anything more than I was going to go with a weird analogy. I'm going to skip it, but <laughs> nothing more than a little bit of affirmation like, cool, man, some guy who you thought was cool or some gal or someone thinks you're cool. Fantastic. Good for you. And that's the end of the story. But the people around me, my friends with glasses that I ignored, that I didn't pour into, that I didn't lift up, they were the ones that had the potential to lift me up and push me on to the next level. And this podcast is a testament to this. Yes, 
a few times a year, I interview someone way out of my league, and it usually has a little bit of an impact on the numbers or who sees it, but more than anything, the foundation of the growth of this podcast has been interviewing my friends, people that are in a similar position to me, people that have a similar following to me, and I encourage you to invest in those people around you. I encourage you. There are people that are in your shoes that would love to move on up alongside you, and they are your moving buddies. Come up with five of them. Say, hey, would you guys want to tie our ships together so when the tide comes in, we'll all raise up? Meaning, is there a way that you can share each other's work purposefully, meaningfully on your platform so that you can saturate each other's platform so the people that follow your friends follow you and vice versa. If you will create a scene, if you will create a movement, some amazing things will happen that you couldn't do on your own. So who can you tap to and say, hey, do you want to work together on growing our audiences? Do you want to help me and I'll help you? What could we do with some creative collaborations we could do to get the word about out about each other? And guess what? It's so much easier to toot someone else's horn. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Toot, <laughs> that, that phrase is weird. I made a piece of art uh, for this podcast. I thought it's one of those things where you think about it too much, it gets strange, but it's so acceptable to toot someone else's horn. Go ahead, don't be afraid, get tooting. All right, point 11. Then I'm going to give you some closing thoughts about why I think this really matters beyond email in a deeper sense in the very bottom grains of your soul. Uh, And then we're going to go over to my buddy Kyle Sheely for point 12. And then we're going to do the credits. That's how this is going to roll. Okay, point 11, just a quick one is introductions. You would be blown away. If you're not utilizing this principle in your creative career, you're leaving a lot of scraps. I would argue even whole meals on the table, on your creative career table. There's turkey legs to be had. And if you're vegetarian, there's a whole pile of falafel just sat there ready to be thrown in your bowl. Uh, You can put some hummus on there, get some sriracha. You ever had sriracha with hummus? I don't know if I've ever recommended that on the podcast, but it's a staple of my daily diet. It's changed my life. Get on it. Anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is introductions. Introductions. You introducing people as a favor, as good karma, as good, uh, you know, social equity. Go introduce people to your friends that should be introduced. Make connections, but then ultimately, don't be afraid to reach out to friends of yours who know people who you'd like to know. Word of mouth is so much stronger than any other type of marketing, and you can actually push yourself intentionally to make those connections so that they don't you don't have to wait until they're just happening organically. There've been plenty of times where close friends of mine, not people that I barely knew, but close friends of mine have asked me to introduce them to uh, an agent or a manager or a client that I'd worked with or a publisher or uh, you know, someone I'd interviewed. And if they're people who are close to me and people who I think, you know what? That that's going to be a mutual 
benefit to both the person that's asking for the introduction and the person that I'm introducing them to, I am more than happy to do it. And agents, I've got agents that way. I've got clients that way. I've got opportunities to interview people for the podcast that way. And, you know, the stats are totally backing this up. You know, the amount of people that get a job because someone knew someone is out of this world. And I would say in the days of information overload, curation is at a premium these days. Like we don't have time to sort through every possible pizza place in the city to decide which pizza place to go to. We ask our friend. And the same goes for illustrators, writers, musicians, what have you. And so if you are not utilizing this, I highly suggest you think of, you know, in the book, Finish. No, 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 no. Do Over by John Acuff. He talks about doing this massive process of writing down every person that you know that might know somebody that's relevant to the next stage of your career, where you want to go next, where you want to break into next. And you'd be blown away by the connections that your connections have. And I'm guessing you're not utilizing them. So take a minute to brainstorm who do you know that knows somebody? And it might not even be somebody super important or somebody who is going to give you some breakthrough that is on a to totally new level. It might just be somebody who knows somebody who could throw, pass you some work that would help pay some bills. You would be blown away if you just take a minute. And the people that care about you, the people that love you are more than happy to pass your name on. So go take advantage of that. You know, another version of this that I've heard is if you're inter doing interviews for podcasts, if you do an interview with somebody and it does, and it goes really, really well, you can say to them, Hey, is there anybody in your inner circle that I need to know about that, that, you know, you think would be a perfect match for my podcast? And if so, will you introduce me to them? You are so much more likely to have breakthroughs and connections if you'll go about it that way. Honestly, the whole game is relationships. Make sure that you're playing. This episode isn't about email or self-promotion or marketing campaigns. It's about something a lot deeper that I hope you walk away with. This episode is your origin story. You've been knocked down. 2018 kicked a lot of butts. <laughs> if 2018 was a wallpaper, it would be a line drawing of butts, <laughs> butt after butt after butt, all with footmarks on both cheeks. And yours was one of those butts. You see that tiny little butt cowering in the corner with seven footprints smacked on both cheeks? That's you. <laughs> That's me. Whether it was heartbreak, slow freelance seasons, the news, family drama, health, money, relationships. I'm sure we've all found ourselves knocked down with lots of footprints all over our butt cheeks <laughs> at some point in 2018. Trust me. I'm the pep talk guy, but I have a tattoo. I got my first tattoo and uh, it's of a little crying umbrella guy on my forearm. So no one knows emo like Bo knows email emo if you know what I mean so here's the good news all good origin stories start with someone getting the snot kicked out of them 
and then they lay there or they get up with that sad puppy dog look in their eyes like who's gonna save me who's gonna show up at my doorstep and be my hero then the world kicks them again and again and again and the universe will keep on kicking you down until you realize there's no hero coming (laughs) why because the hero of this story is already here and the butt kicking doesn't stop until you wake up and realize it well (laughs) in fact the butt kicking will never stop the world doesn't change but you can I see it in real life. I saw it in myself. I see it in other people. That sad puppy dog face. Those sad puppy dog eyes. Saying, save me. Who's going to come and swoop in and save me? And then there's these other type of eyes. What are these eyes? What do they mean? It's a question I've asked myself a million times because when I see this look, it's this fire in the hero's eyes. It makes my eyes change too. How? Well, for one, they just start streaming tears because remember, I'm the emo guy, but also it inspires fire in my own eyes. I freaking love origin stories for this one reason. It's this change in the character's eyes, that moment when Moana realizes Maui can't save her or the land. That look when Harry realizes his dad is really dead. He's not coming to save his past self. It's that look when Neo realizes Morpheus can't save the world, but there is someone who can. I went to the movies the other day to see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Now everyone on Twitter was going bonkers for this movie and overhyping it and I was really nervous that it wouldn't possibly live up to the hype and I wouldn't be able to enjoy it because of their hyping but guess what it's absolutely impossible impossible to overhype this movie it is perfect it's my favorite movie that I've seen in ages I laughed I cried I cheered I even converted to a new favorite spider-man If you don't know, this movie is about a multiverse, a.k.a. multi-universe, sprawling all these Spider-Man universes, and there's like seven Spider-People in this movie. And the star of the movie is Miles Morales, a young kid who gets bit by a radioactive spider and gets spider powers. The whole movie, you see it in his eyes. That sad puppy dog eyes. Sad puppy dog eye. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> those those sad puppy dog eyes. He's waiting for a hero. He's waiting for Peter Parker, the real Spider-Man, to save him and save the day. Watching these movies, I always feel the same. You probably feel the same way. The hero gets the powers and right at the start, and you've, you're just dumbfounded that they still have that sad, stupid, defeated, helpless puppy dog look in their eyes. That look that says, who's going to save me? And you're shouting at the screen, you're a super spider boy. You've got what it takes. Believe in yourself. But we know the truth. The real Spider-Man isn't coming. He's not going to save the day. Why? This isn't a spoiler. You already know it. The real Spider-Man's not coming. He's not going to save the day. Why? Because this isn't his story. So the universe keeps kicking Miles, the new Spider-Boy, down until he gets it. And then it happens.
experience. He believes it. He gets it. The resolve is born. His eyes change. He's no longer the same. There's a transcendent power emanating from his spidey senses. He's five steps ahead of his enemies. Yeah, he gets knocked down, but he always gets back up with that. That's all you've got kind of swagger. At the start of my career, I got my first creative career smackdown. My freelance work dried up. I needed money. My inbox was as barren as a pizza box seven minutes after I purchased it. <laughs> I so, so badly needed something, anything to pop into my email inbox and save me. Or so I thought. But refresh after inbox refresh, nothing. Every refresh, another kick from the universe. But then it happened. No, not a miraculous overnight change everything email from my fairy art mother. No, the change was inside. My eyes change, changed because I realized there's no hero gonna sling from the web into my inbox and why? Because this is my origin story. No hero's coming to save me. If something as stupid as an email is going to change my life, it's not going to be found in my inbox. It's going to be in my sent folder. No. No heroes coming. They can't. They're already here. Art makes life worth living. Sometimes it makes life just bearable. Sometimes it makes it joyous. Sometimes it reminds us what's important. Sometimes it just gives us that little thing that we need to hear just when we needed to hear it. I'm so grateful that the creator of the Spider-Verse believed that they had it. They believed that they had the Spidey powers. They believed they had something that their true fans needed to hear. They believed that they were the hero of their story so much that they fought tooth and nail to sell this thing and make sure that it got made. They sold it in pitch meetings and they sold it to scary people with fancy clothes and money. I want to say thank you so much, whoever you are. You entertained and, and, and even more importantly, inspired me and my family. And that matters. Art matters. You matter. Your work matters. I don't care if you send a promo email in 2019, but I do care about this, that 2019 is the year that your eyes change. From one of your potential true fans, I just want to say you might be the person to make my next favorite Spider-Man. You might tell me a story about being an introvert or being someone with ADHD that makes me feel a little bit less alone on a lonely day where I've lost that fire in my eyes. You might tell a joke that helps me laugh when I thought I couldn't laugh again. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I gotta tell you this, quit waiting. The real Spider-Man can't show up to save you. It's a physical impossibility. Why? Come on. You know why. I can see it in your eyes through the Spider-Verse. I can see it. You know the real Spider-Man isn't coming to save you. He can't. Because the real Spider-Man is already here. You are the real Spider-Man. Fight this creative fight in 2019 like you believe it.
So my friend Kyle Sheely, who is going to close out this episode, I'm going to come. Don't I'm going to come back and close it. I'm going to come back with a few extra words, but he's going to do one of the points for me because. He has built his entire speaking career on direct promo, and he does a great job. I don't know anybody that's better at connecting and getting past gatekeepers and getting into conversations like he wanted to be friends with me, and he just wormed his way in there. Now we're really close friends, uh, and he did it strategically, and he's going to share some uh, feedback. But one of the things he did that I learned from goes hand-in-hand with this uh, point 10 about moving on up, buddy. And he, when he was doing his Kickstarter recently, he created an Instagram story pack and shared it with his close friends that have followings, that have people listening to them, and he made it really easy. He said, here's what I would love you to do if you want to help out and get the word out. I made you these three Instagram story posts. All you have to do is link them up and share them. Uh, if you, if that's something you feel like doing. And when your friends ask you to do stuff like that, you're happy to do it. And so you can actually make it super easy by creating some dialogue, creating some uh, content, some like a press kit for your friends to get the word out about your big announcement or your new thing on the new distribution channel. Um, and I thought that was really brilliant and I shared it happily. So that's a good tactic. Thanks, Kyle. Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Dr. Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. <sighs> okay, guys, hold on. Uh, guys, I gotta it, gotta come clean here. I'm so, I lied. I lied, okay? I'm not Dr. Pizza. He'll be in later. I'm the guy that comes in before the doctor and like takes your vitals and stuff like that. I'm this is not Dr. Pizza. This is nurse practitioner Sheely. Also, please note I am not a licensed nurse practitioner. Um Anyways, Dr. Pizza asked me to come and give you some tips on communication and promotion. My name is Kyle Sheely. I'm an author, speaker, motivator, and apparently a nurse practitioner. I, uh, work, I work with teenagers all over the country. I talk about things like kindness and empathy and making the world a better place. So what does that have to do with your creative career? Well, a lot, actually. It actually has a lot to do with your creative career because even though my career isn't based in art or illustration or design, I still have to do a lot of the same core business functions that you do, especially when it comes to getting hired. I have to reach out to potential clients. I have to stand out in a sea of competitors. I have to get people's attention without annoying them, and that is what Andy wanted me to talk about today. So without further ado, here are Nurse Practitioner Sheely's top tips for reaching out to prospective clients. Number one, do your homework. When I'm contacting someone, when I send that first email, I am trying to get hired to come speak, usually at their conference, sometimes at their school or event. Um, So before I contact that person, I want to do all of my homework to figure out who probably hires speakers for this event. In some organizations, that's the state director or the state advisor. In others, it might be an event coordinator. At a school, it could be a principal. It could be a guidance counselor. Could be a student council advisor, could just be a teacher. And based on a person's title, I'm going to have varying degrees of certainty that that's even the right person to contact. And based on those degrees of certainty, that's going to shape how I approach that conversation and that relationship. So for you, that means the same thing. Before you send that email, do your homework. Start with a goal. What's your goal from this email correspondence? Are you trying to get this person to hire you for a full time job? Are you trying to get them to review your portfolio? Are you wanting them to commission an illustration? 
Figure that out first and then figure out, does this person have the authority or the capacity to do that, to help me achieve that goal? See, I think that oftentimes we reach out to someone with this vague notion of connecting without really understanding what we're trying to accomplish. And and that's fine if you're just wanting to build rapport or start a friendship or something. But when you do that as a professional, it, it reflects poorly on you. And it often makes that person feel like they now have the burden of figuring out what you're trying to accomplish. You should not be doing that. Go in knowing, yeah, I'm pretty sure this person's the right person and having a goal. Uh, Second, go for quantity over quality. Now, before you throw rocks at me, I know that that idea is anathema in almost every area of life, especially for creative people, but let me explain what I mean. A hundred people who hire illustrators for work that might be boring or tedious or unsexy to you as an illustrator, a hundred of those people are better than one person who hires illustrators for exactly the kind of work that really excites you. The odds are that your dream client is not going to hire you the first time you reach out to them. For one thing, they've never heard of you before. For two, uh, they're probably other people's dream client if they're your dream client, and that means that they're getting lots of emails that are just like the email that you're sending them. That's fine, and you should definitely send them an email, but also don't put all of your eggs in that basket. Also reach out to the hundred or thousand other potential clients whose work might be less exciting because here's a secret. The money spends the same. This year I did an event. It was the Super Bowl of my industry. It's the National FFA Convention. 67,000 people plus were at this event. It was insane. Garth Brooks played a concert there. Like It was nuts. This is the biggest event that I could ever do and it's the one that's been on my like top goals list since I started speaking. It was an honor to do it and it's opened a ton of doors. But also in the same year and in fact in the same month, I did events where it was at some school in the middle of nowhere at some tiny auditorium where we figured out the sound system like moments before students came in. I did events this year where the sound system didn't even work and I just had to start yelling in a gym for an hour so that the 700 kids in there could hear what I was saying. I've done events like big, small, awesome production to terrible, no production. I've done events where there were like 50 kids sitting in a circle and I'm just kind of like spinning around talking like any, anything that you can imagine from good to bad, I've done it. And the thing is, uh, all the checks from all those events, they cleared the same way and they all fed my kids and paid my mortgage and it's the same. And that big event that I did this year has opened a ton of doors for me and 2019 is going to be a great year because of it. But if you think for a second that I've stopped reaching out to those clients that might be less sexy, but that still have a budget, you are dead wrong. Give yourself as many chances as possible. Get in those at bats because the truth is out of a hundred emails that you send, the vast majority of them are going to go unanswered or they're going to be some form of no. Somebody's going to say, no, we don't like your style or no, you're too expensive or no, we don't have a budget or no, I'm sorry, we already hired someone. A very small percentage of any emails that you send out, a very small percentage of that is going to be, yes, here's a check, here's a commission which means that you need to send more emails. Like how, if, if it's all percentage-based, then the more qualified good leads that you put into the top of that funnel, the more 
business comes out of the bottom. So give yourself as many chances as you can. To break this down into practical steps, here's what I do. I start out by nailing down the specific value I, I provide. For me, that's a specific type of talk that motivates a specific type of student to take a specific type of action. For you, it might be illustration, design, typesetting, music production, whatever. The more specific you can get about that value, the better though. Maybe instead of just saying, well, I'm an illustrator, maybe say, I do illustrated logos. Or maybe say, I'm really good at swoopy hand lettering. Whatever your specific value is, then I nail down who needs this. Like, who has a problem that is solved by the thing that I do? For me, there are certain groups that hire speakers who do the kind of thing that I do. Now, for you, it might be editors or art directors or producers or whatever. And once I know a general idea, then I get specific. I start Googling. I work nationwide. So I literally go state by state and Google Alabama Association of Student Councils, Alabama FFA, Alabama FDLA, Alabama. Like I just go through. And then once I've exhausted all the organizations on that list, then I go, Alaska, and then Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida. You get the idea. I'm individually Googling each of these organizations, and then I am scouring their websites, looking for the contact info for the state director, state advisor, event coordinator, whoever that person is that I've determined I'm looking for. I've been doing this for eight years, so I have a general idea of which organizations have which titles, but it might take you some time to get that knowledge. For you, maybe it's just Googling lifestyle magazines, Cincinnati, Lifestyle Magazine Denver, Lifestyle Magazine Chicago, whatever it is, because you happen to know that that type of organization or publication tends to commission illustrations. Or maybe you got hired once to do an illustration for like a dental industry magazine. Well, guess what? There are probably more of those. So start Googling, make a spreadsheet of everything that you find and put as much information into it as you can. Little side note here, don't just go out and buy a database. Here's the thing. The person who made that database has different goals than you have, and that's very crucial. The person who made the database, their goal was to sell as many of those databases as possible, and your goal is to sell your services, which means that the people on that database have been emailed to death. Every time I've ever bought or used a database of people that supposedly hire speakers, uh, it doesn't work. They just all are like, yeah, I got 50 of these emails today and they just delete it. So do your own homework, do your own digging, do your own Google sleuthing to get to the bottom of who are these people and where are they? Um, and then finally I start reaching out, but don't propose on the first date. Okay. I see way too many people do this and it never works. Here's what I mean. I've been guilty of this myself early on. I was so excited to get started as a speaker that I would send these like novel length emails where I was like, dear so-and-so, my name is Kyle. I'm a motivational speaker from Springfield, Missouri. Here's my life story. Here's my hobbies and interests. Here's an amazing anecdote about something that is completely unrelated to this email. Here are the topics I speak about. When do you want to set up a time to talk? Like nobody responded to these emails. And then one time I was talking to another speaker about something totally unrelated. And he just offhandedly said, well, you know, man, this is a relationship business. This is a long-term relationship business. And you have to build long-term relationships with clients in order for this to be sustainable. And I realized it was like this light ball moment that I was trying to force a relationship with one email and that was not going to work. That's not how relationships work. You don't become best friends with someone because they corner you, tell you their life story, and then go, let's be best friends. You get a restraining order against that person. 
You become best friends with someone through conversation. So I realized my only goal with a cold email is to open a conversation. And the easiest way to do that is to give them something that is so easy to respond to, which is a simple question that can be answered with one word. So now my emails look something like this. Dear so-and-so, Quick question. Have you started looking at speakers for 2019 yet? Let me know. Hope you're doing well, Kyle. See, I used to put all this other information in there like, I hope they know that I'm a speaker. Well, I better tell them. But then I realized if I'm emailing them and saying, hey, have you started looking at speakers yet? And they're the director of an organization, they probably have the mental capacity to connect the dots and realize that I probably am a speaker. That's why I'm sending this email. And if not, then they can just read the next line where my email signature says, Kyle Sheely, motivational speaker, kylesheely.com, right? Like, I don't need to hand them all this information. They can use context clues. I just need to give them something that's easy to answer because easy to answer emails get answered. And here's why. People love getting emails out of their inbox. So if I have a a letter from somebody that's 14 paragraphs long, that email is going to sit at the bottom of my inbox for a long time until I feel like I have a lot of time to sit and process it. But if you email at me and say, hey, Kyle, what's your middle name? I will email you back right away and tell you it's danger. Um, That's not true. My middle name is Jeffrey, but I don't like it. Anyways, that's a tangent. So I asked the one question that can be answered with one word, because those answer those emails get answered and it sets me up a com- for a conversation. Either way, no matter what they do, it's helpful for me. If they say, no, we haven't started looking at speakers yet, then I go, oh, cool. Do you have an idea of when you'll start looking at speakers? I don't want to bug you before you're really looking. And then they'll email back and say, yeah, we typically start looking in May. And then I make a note to follow up in mid-April because I want to be the first person that reaches out to them when they're almost ready to start booking. If they say, yeah, sorry, we've already booked a speaker this year. Then I say, oh man, it sounds like you guys are on top of it. Just so I can know for the future, when do you typically start looking at speakers. I'd love to get on your radar for 2020. Um, And this is all helpful information, even though none of these has led to me getting booked yet. Because the thing is, my kids are going to eat next year too. If history is any indicator, my kids are going to eat more next year than they ate this year, which means that even though this isn't a contract in hand, all of this information is helpful and valuable for me because it helps me to figure out when they're looking in the future. Even if they say, we don't have the budget to hire speakers, Uh, our organization is falling apart like we just can't do i've had those emails where they said actually we're shutting it down we don't have a but whatever that's also valuable information because that tells me i'm not going to waste my time and i'm not going to waste their time by following up with them two years from now and on the rare occasion that i get lucky and the stars align they'll say actually we're just starting looking for speakers now i'll put your name in the running or once i even had someone say i haven't started yet but this email is a good reminder like i probably should start looking how much is your keynote and i booked that keynote in like two emails because i just happened to be there at a good reminder at a right time that this lady was like oh yeah i should hire a speaker the important thing is that regardless of how they answer that you have a system in place for keeping track of the information that you're getting. I use CRM software. CRM stands for, I think it's customer relationship management or contact relationship management, but it's basically just a place to put all the information about a person that you have been emailing. You can make notes in there. You can save your emails. You can set tasks. The one that I use is called HiRise, but there are a lot of CRM software uh, applications out there, but you don't even need one of those if you're just getting started. It could just be a spreadsheet. If you reference it often enough, you could integrate your calendar 
calendar, like whatever is going to get a system for you. Um, because a system is super valuable because this information is worthless if you don't actually put it into use and follow up. Your brain, if it's anything like my brain, is terrible at keeping track of a lot of moving things. And so I put it into a system. I have tasks right now that are set for like a year from now because I know I'm not going to remember to email that person that said, oh yeah, follow up December of 20. I'm not going to remember that. And so I put it in a, a system that will email me that day and say, hey, remember this? You're supposed to email this person. They talked to you a year ago. And then when you actually do, that person's brain is going to explode. They're going to go, oh, this person remembered this thing that we talked about a year ago. Get a system, put it in place. Because even though I won't remember that task, a year from now, I will be reminded of that task because I have a system in place. And some of those tasks are going to get me hired. They're going to get me paid. They're going to feed my kids because I put a task into a system. Last but not least, keep going. Don't give up on this stuff. As my friend said, this is a long-term relationship game. Every industry is a long-term relationship-based game. You are not selling illustrations. You're selling relationships. You're not like anything that's true of any industry. You will get hired more if you have a relationship with the person making the decision. And that doesn't have to be you send them birthday cards and you know their kids' names. It just means, does that person, when they think of you, do they just think illustrator or do they think, you know what, I really like that person. I like their, the, the, our conversation or our rapport, they've been really easy to work with, or I've heard really good things from other people. All of that is relationship management. And so what that means is that a no today doesn't mean anything beyond that. It doesn't mean anything for that person hiring you next year. That could be a complete yes. They could hire you for something four times the budget next year. Um, it just You have to keep going. You have to keep that long-term mentality. I got an email yesterday from a person who saw me at the big national FFA convention thing that I did this year. And she said, I just met with our planning team and they unanimously voted to hire you. Are you available? Here's the dates. Here's the budget. It was a easy, like T-ball home run. She just set it up over the plate and I was able to book that very easily. But here's the thing. She did not send me a blank new fresh email uh, saying all of that. For some reason, which I'm not clear on, she responded to an email that I had sent her. I had sent her that email in 2014. Four years ago, I emailed her about hiring me, and for whatever reason, she didn't follow up. So in that interim time, it would have been easy for me to go, well, that person hates me, or that person doesn't want to ever hire me, or my career is over, or I'm worthless, I should just go deliver pizzas, or whatever. Like I could have gone crazy with those thoughts, but instead, I just kept plugging away, kept contacting people, and I've actually contacted her in between now and then, so I don't know why she responded to an email from 2014 instead of 2017 or 2018. But just keep going. Focus on building relationships and doing good work and being easy to work with because all of those things go into how that person thinks of you and that is going to take you far. That means don't be pushy with your emails. I was just having dinner with a client a few weeks ago. Another speaker's name came up. All she had to say about him was, man, that guy does not know when to stop sending emails. That means what I heard from that conversation was, I'll probably never hire that guy. So don't be that guy. And also don't show that you're disappointed when they don't hire you. This 
is huge. You are going to be disappointed when they don't hire you. I had just had an event yesterday where uh, she said, yeah, we're going to follow up on like January, early January, and we'll nail this down, but it's 100%, like we're good to go. And it was for an event that was supposed to be in February. And then yesterday, the email that I got wasn't, hey, here's the contract. Instead, it was, hey, administration pushed back. We're not going to be able to do it because there's testing. And how about we look towards the fall? Now, how I handle that response is going to dictate if I get hired in the fall or if she completely never talks to me again. And here's why. Because it's human nature to avoid people that you have relational tension with. And that is bad for your business if you don't acknowledge and understand it. If I email you and I say, hey, I want to hire you for an illustration job. And you say, yeah. And we talk back and forth. And then all of a sudden I have to come back and go, hey, I'm sorry. The budget fell through. Or hey, that project, that client dropped us. Or whatever reason I have to say, just kidding, it's not going to happen. How you handle that, how you respond will determine if I reach out again next time. Even though it's 100% my fault and you had nothing to do with it, your response is going to dictate how that goes in the future. Because if if I get the feeling that you're upset or you feel let down or you're disappointed or you feel misled or any of that stuff, I am going to avoid you like the plague because every time I see you, I'm going to go, that person doesn't like me. That person's mad at me. And there's this relational tension and we as humans want to avoid that. However, if you you go, hey man, no sweat. I totally understand. Budgets fall through, clients fall through. That's just part of the game. Don't worry about it. Hey, just I would love to work with you though. So keep me in mind for next time. I'm gonna go, oh my gosh, what a load off. I thought he was gonna be mad and he's not doesn't seem mad at all. He just wants to work with me. And that means that next time I have a client, next time I have a budget, I'm gonna reach out to you first because one, you seem like you're cool, and two, I kind of feel like I owe you a favor for that thing that fell apart last time. So keep that in mind. Keep in mind how this person is going to respond to the way that you respond, the way that you react. Be easy to work with, be kind, do good work, build yourself a good name, and, and that will carry you so far. So those are my top tips for reaching out for new clients. It has been my joy and pleasure to be your nurse practitioner today. Uh, This is boring, unsexy work, but it pays for everything in my life. So... I'm, I tell people I'm not actually a speaker. That's a very small percentage of what I do. I'm mostly a professional email sender and reacher outer and relationship builder. All of those things are what actually lets me get onto the stage and get paid for talking for an hour. And if you can get good at those things, if you can get good at relationship management, if you can get good at reaching out to people, if you can get good at tracking down contact information for the right person and not being annoying and all of those things, if you can get good at those things, you will be so much more successful than almost almost anyone else in your industry because most people suck at this stuff. Those are my tips. It's been great being your nurse practitioner. The doctor will be in to see you soon. Also, that blood pressure is looking a little high, but maybe lay off the sodium. This is nurse practitioner Sheely signing off. Oh, man. Thank you, Kyle Sheely, for being on the show. This person, I kid you not, I don't know anybody that is better at the self-promo arts, the dark arts, the light arts, however you look at them. Kyle is a master, and I am so grateful that he spent some time uh, sharing what he knows. And, you know, I think that one of the things I love about having guests on the show is it gives you multiple points of views. They're not always going to be the same. Sometimes there's, uh, you know, differences in opinion or whatever, but it gives you a well-rounded slice of pep the full pepperoni pizza to go at thank you kyle so much for being on the show and providing that insight 
Thanks to everybody for listening. This episode, I'm so excited about this episode uh, to start this year off right. I hope you, I hope it jazzes you up. I hope that you jazz your friends. I hope you guys go jazzercise all the way through Creative Pep Talks. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm I'm gonna shut up. I'm gonna finish it. Thank you guys for listening. Share it with friends. Let's all get freaking jazzed out of our gourds all 2019 and make it the best year yet for your creative career. Thanks to Yoni Wolf for in the band Y for the theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing the editing this podcast so beautifully and also providing the soundtrack in which you can find on Spotify. If you need some work tunes, some instrumental work, doodads, blooping and blipping right in the background, get on Spotify, search Alex Sugg or Creative Pep Talk soundtrack. It'll come up. Listen to it on repeat for the next seven hours and you'll be the most productive you've ever been. They're super productive magic pouring through those blips and bloops thanks for listening until we speak again stay pepped up